We're working through this entitled Responsibility, and we are looking at men. I thought I could get through eight pages of notes last week. Obviously, that did not happen. We're going to try to conclude that today, if at all possible, because the Lord's got something else on my heart after this series, but I, you know, that's okay. We'll take it, and we'll walk through it slowly so that we can all uh, take it. Psalm 128, and uh, we defined last week... Um, Tony Evans defines a kingdom man in such a way, it's a man who visibly demonstrates the comprehensive rule of God underneath the lordship of Jesus Christ in every area of his life. Another thing I would like to stick with you today is this quote, a blessing is never only about you, it is always intended to include you, but it, it, but it also is intended to go through you to others. God is not opposed to greatness, he's opposed to pride. And then that will get us to the bottom of my notes at page four, okay? Uh, one thing I would like to draw your attention to is a very big monumental uh, date. Uh, tomorrow will be a uh, birthday for our most uh, senior saint here at the church, Brother Hansel Hudson, will be turning 96 tomorrow. Um, Unfortunately, I let that slip through my mind during the wealth. That's right. That's right. I let that slip through my mind during the welcome time. And then Brother Hansel slipped out. If you know Brother Hansel, he's usually here for Sunday school or for worship. At least he stayed for, I know he's in Sunday school and he stayed for a little bit of worship. We're going to, we miss him. But uh, I hope he turns us on when he gets home. He gets to, gets to hear that, uh, that applause and appreciation. For all he's done for this church and for the Lord throughout his life. But last week we looked at the responsibility of men to themselves. And uh, we finished that up. And today we are going to begin looking at verse 3 there in Psalm 128. Now there's only six verses. So I'm going to read the whole thing. But I'm going to start there in verse 3 when I begin preaching. Look there in verse 1 of Psalm 128. It says, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy, and it shall be well with you. Your wife shall be a fruitful vine. In the very heart of your house, your children, like olive plants all around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. And where does that blessing come from? Verse 5 says, The Lord bless you out of Zion. And may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Yes, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. You look there in verse 3. Now we concluded last week, when you look at verse 1, it says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord who walks in his ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy and it shall be well with you. Your wife. So, the first thing is the leadership of that husband, of that man. We've got to be led by the Holy Spirit and lead ourselves in that sanctification process. To be set apart from the world, be set apart to the Lord. And so when we fear the Lord and when we walk in his ways, we will be able to see the benefits of that. Because we are being responsible followers of Christ. And so you see there verse 2, when you eat the labor of your hands... A man who is a responsible man of God should be working 
barring any physical setbacks and things of that nature. We understand there's things that happen in life that causes a man to where he can't work for a moment of time or maybe for a prolonged period of time. And we understand that. But we should never be not about the work of Christ. We might not be able to be about our secular jobs, being able to work in that situation. But there is no time on this side of heaven that you should not be working for God's glory and for his name's sake. That's for any of us, not just the man, but anyone who is called upon Christ. No time on this side of heaven is there a time not to work for Jesus. There's always a time to work for Jesus. But here specifically, he's talking about when you eat the labor of your hands. You've been a productive individual in life. You shall be happy. Man, I'll tell you what. There's nothing that brings more joy to me than to be able to sit down after a long week. And, and you may say, a long week? You're a minister. You work one day a week. Um, but uh, we know there's a lot more engaged in that. And a lot of it is mental and emotional. And uh, listen, it's, it's been... Uh, you know, there's times when you go through series where it's very challenging, very challenging, you know, whether it's dealing with someone who's lost a loved one or, or transitions or changes or whatever it may be. I mean, you've got, I mean, uh, I've got kids transitioning to college. We've got positions needing to be filled in the church. We've got nominating committee that needs to be determined who that is. You know, we've got a lot of different things going on. And, and, and it's, it's, you may think, well, you know, that's not, that's not a big deal. It is a big deal. It's a very big deal. Because the church is structured and functioning and needs to run like it needs to. But our homes are structured and functioning and they need to run as they need to as well. Before you're a Christian in a church house, man, we need to be a Christian in our own house. You know, if, if the only time people see you as a Christian is here in these pews, but they don't see you as a Christian there in your homes, there's a problem with that. We need to be a Christian. We need to be a believer in Jesus Christ in our hearts, giving him our whole hearts. Not just our Sundays. Not just potentially our Wednesdays. We got to give him all, all our days. Boy, that was interesting. Wow. <laughs> I was about to say all an hour at the same time. So it sounded like a cat. Um, we got to give him all of our days. All of our days. Okay? So here he says, these things, you shall be happy and it shall be well with you. That means that you're, you're satisfied. You've got a satisfied work ethic. You've got satisfaction in your productivity. You got satisfaction in the work because you have feared the Lord and you've walked in his ways. And when you do those things, this is the next uh, stipulation there. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine. Now, this is where the psalmist begins to point to the importance of family. The responsibility of man to his family. Both the vine and the olive tree were important to the economy of Israel. What does that mean? These, these olive trees, as we think about those, actually, I've tried, I got a little ahead of myself with that statement because I'm going to talk about the kids in a minute. But your wife shall be a fruitful vine. I'll come back to that thought in just a minute about, the, about that. But your wife shall be a fruitful vine. As I said, not all men, I started this off last week, not all men are husbands, but all men, regardless of age, are looking toward maturity, whether that includes a spouse or not. Remember we talked about Malehood, boyhood, and manhood, that's the transitions by which a, a, a male should go through. Obviously, at birth, you're born either male or female. I'm not going to preach on that today, but we know good and well that's how everybody's born. One of the two. Confusion may come later, but there is truth and obvious recognition at birth. Okay? 
You're either born male or female. So there's malehood, boyhood, and manhood. And we all should be desiring to, uh, to mature through life. And not only mature to manhood, guys, we should also be maturing to be righteous, responsible men of God. So whether that includes a spouse or not, like I said. But at this time, we'll look at the family and the responsibility of a man. It says your wife should be a fruitful vine. Our wives should be able to grow and blossom under our love and protection. You remember the two words I said when God first put Adam in the garden? He was to what? Tend the garden. But because of sin, he had to what in the garden? He had to toil. And there's a difference. Our, our relationships should be one where we are tending to our brides. We are taking care of our wives. We should not shelter them so much from the sun, that's talking about Jesus Christ, that they are malnourished, nor should we overexpose them so they wither. She should be loved as Christ loved the church. Sanctification is the process of taking someone from where they are into where they ought to be. And that's talked about in Ephesians 5, 25 through 33. It says, husbands, sanctify your wives. Wash them in the word of God. We are to do that. We are to pour over our wives with the word of God. It's not just there in, I mean, like I know the Bible is living and active. The words of God are living and active. But it's not just this book's responsibility. It's this man's responsibility to be talking about the word of God. Have I been good at that? Often? No, not really. You may say, but you're my pastor. Yeah, I am. But I'm still a, I'm, I'm, I'm a man who fails at times. We can all improve in this area. But we are to teach and speak the word of God. R. Kent Hughes challenges us through the Ephesians 5 text on three levels. He said there's three levels of love. There's sacrificial love, which is a love uh, like unto death. There's sanctifying love. It's a love that elevates. And there's a self-love, loving your wife as much as you love your own body. Those are the three top loves that we should have for our wives. And God's covering over us as his sons is a model for our covering of how we as men are to cover those that are under us. Whether that be our wife, our children, whatever. The same way Christ covers us, we are to cover them. Just as Christ gave up his life for the bride, we are to give up our lives for our brides. It's a dedication. When you get married in front of a church or wherever it is nowadays that people are getting married, you are taking a covenant before God. It's not a contract. Till death do us, I mean, till inconvenience do we part. You know, it's what some people think. No, till death do us part. No, till death do us part is how that's supposed to work. We understand there's unfortunate situations that happens in marriages. But guys, if we will do our part, it would be a lot less likely for divorce to be happening in our families if we would wash our wives with the word of God. If we sanctify them. And listen, instead of going to the phones or going to the TVs or, or just abandoning any type of relationship building where we go out to the barn or the building or the garage, spend some time with your wife and read the Word of God. Pray with her. Take time to show that the relationship you have with, with Christ is real. Because obviously you're building a relationship with the tool shed. You're building a relationship with the car. 
You might be building a relationship with the phone, but somewhere along the way, we've got to build a relationship with the one that God has given us. We've got to build a relationship with them. How are we cultivating an atmosphere for our wives in, in her relationship with Christ? How are we doing that? And as, as our wife's pastor, because listen, every, every husband is a pastor to their wife. You may not realize that, but we are. I'm not your wife's, I, I'm, the, I'm the pastor of this church, but I'm not really your wife's pastor. You as men are your wife's pastor. And as that, you need to intentionally consider what your wife needs to mature in her walk with Christ. And then you need to take steps to provide those things for her. Look, I'm not telling you you're not doing it. I'm not telling you you are doing it. I'm just telling you we need to be doing it. Okay? So men don't take this as I brought out the Bible to, to thump you with it. I'm just trying to give you an understanding. I need this. I need to read this often. <laughs> I need this probably maybe more than many of you do in this room. You might be doing a fantastic job at this. Praise God. Maybe you have done a good job with this. You, you're in a place now where... Uh, maybe you're, you're widowed and, and, and you've, you've, you've been able to do this in your life. I'm not here to guilt you, okay? I'm here to tell you this is just what the Word of God says. This is how we need to do this. And if we don't have someone else to do this, do this for yourself. Do this for the next generation. Do this for those that's in this church. Pour over the Word of God so the Word of God may pour over you. 1 Peter 3, 7 speaks to the benefits of understanding and honoring your wife, consideration should be taken to our wives. R. Kent Hughes wrote, Men, do you pray with, for your wives with something more than bless good old Margaret and all she does? If not, you are sinning against her and against God. Most Christian men who claim to love their wives never offer more than a perfunctory nod to their wives' needs before God. Men, you ought to have a list of her needs, spoken and unspoken, which you passionately hold up to God out of love for her. Praying is the marital work of a Christian husband. That's out of disciplines of a godly man, R. Kent Hughes. If, and if you want that book, I've got one down there in the library window. Okay, I've got one in my office. I'll let you borrow. It's a paperback. That one down there is a hardback. But if you want to order it, you can go to ChristianBook.com and order it. This was of a godly man. It's an excellent book. You're going to hear me quote from it a good bit. Because it's challenging to me. Very challenging to me. We need to be, we need to be pouring over our wives. Your wife shall be a fruitful vine. I've heard this illustration because, you know, in, in, that, part of, in that part of the country, in, in Israel, you know, being a vine dresser was a big deal. That was a part of their culture. And to, for those vines to be producing to be fruitful, they would have to uh, they'd have to be uh, lifted up off the ground. Okay? So they would need to be uh, lifted up. They need to be pointed up. And then they need to be uh, they need to be uh, clustered up. And then once they're clustered up, they're able to produce. Because if they're on the ground, they're not going to be able to produce. They get tangled up in weeds and everything else comes along and those, the, the, the grapes of the, of the, of the vine get, get bogged down. We've got to lift up our wives. 
And if we lift them up and we keep them lifted up through the sanctification process, they're going to blossom. They're going to be a fruitful vine. It goes on to say, and, and where are they going to be a fruitful vine? In the very heart of your house. Your wife's growth is central to the home. She is the one who is doing the majority of nurturing, educating, and caring. And she has a very important place in a godly home. A woman who is fruitful will have many of the attributes described in Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31 goes to explain uh, what a godly wife should look like. And she's doing a lot. For many years, there's been this misconception that a wife can only be in the home. Now listen, there's a lot of work in the home. Okay, so don't, don't take that as a small thing. Listen, Julie was a stay-at-home mom for many years, and I was very grateful for the many years that she was able to be a stay-at-home mom, you know? And, and listen, if you're a young family and you can be a stay-at-home mom, it, it, praise God. But if you can't, we understand, especially now, man, gas prices, inflation, everything else, we know. It's very challenging to be able to do that. But listen, we, we reap the rewards of Julie being able to stay home for, for many years. I mean, I think they were, gosh, they were already in second grade, kindergarten, maybe even third grade, first grade before she really started into a regular job. And boy, what a blessing that was for our household. And I can see the benefits of that in my own children. Now listen, if you haven't been able to do that, don't take that as a negative statement, okay? I don't, I don't like that. I've, I've had people be so diehard in one area or the other that it makes people feel like they're being kicked out either way. Listen, you do what you got to do for your family. But this is the deal. What you got to do for your family is this. you got to wash them with the Word of Christ. Whether they're at home or whether they're in a public school or homeschool or private school or whatever school it may be, you need to be washing them with the Word in some way, shape, or fashion whenever you're at home. Because especially if you're going to public school, um, you need something to wash all that funk off of. We are not yet in a culture here in our county to where it's bad. I, I've come to know many of the educators in this county from Lupton to Jasper and Maddox. Can't really say anything about TR. The others, my kids didn't go there. They went to Lupton. But I can speak for Lupton and I could speak for Jasper High School, and I could speak for Curry High School and the middle school because I, many of those folks I've uh, been, in, been in church with. Listen, there's Christian educators in this county. So don't be scared of them, okay? Don't be worried. I mean, I, listen, everywhere your kids go, they're exposed. If they've got a phone, anything they're going to see at school is secondary, just about. Just about. So be mindful of that, especially if they've got social media on their phone. But we've got, to, we've got to cultivate in our homes a place for our wives to thrive and our families to thrive. It says in the very heart of your home. Any man who blames his wife for the chaos in his home without simultaneously accepting responsibility for addressing it is publicly declaring a lack of his biblical manhood. That's right. And for us, responsibility to God, this brings up some hard questions. Is my wife more like Christ because she is married to me? Or is she more like Christ in spite of me? Has she shrunk from his likeness because of me? Do I sanctify her or hold her back? Is she a better woman because she is married to me? Is she a better friend? Is she a better mother? Men, are we helping our wives to be as successful as they can be? In their walk with Christ. Because someone who is healthy in their walk with Christ will be healthy in every other aspect of their life. So men, we need to do that. 
We need to do that. It says your children are like olive plants all around your tables. Ephesians 6, 4 tells us, Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. There's some do's and don'ts. The first thing I want you to understand is going back to this fruitful vine and then your children like olive plants. What does that mean? Well, olive plants take an average of 15 years to become fully developed. Did you know that? I didn't. As I study, and it takes 15 years for an olive plant to become fully developed. And the interesting thing about olive plants is if they're nurtured correctly, it will become an olive tree that can produce olives for over 2,000 years. Now, if you think about that for a minute, it takes 15 years for an olive plant to fully develop. When do we think, is, when do we think that you start taking, I mean, like, you should always be teaching your children. But when is it that we really think our kids think that they could kind of make it on their own? It's somewhere right around that age group, ain't it? In the Jewish culture, once a boy turned 13, they were considered a man. They had bar mitzvah, and the, or is it 12 or 13? I can't remember. It might have been 12. At 12, they had their bar mitzvah, and, and they were considered a man. Now, we've created this thing called adolescence, and we've given everybody a cop-out to be a child until they're about 24. Back then, you were considered a man at 15, and then you, you think about how that is uh, in the life of an olive plant, olive plant and then what the uh, psalmist has written here. Your children like olive plants all around your table. R. Kent Hughes says, Men, the mere fact of fatherhood has endowed you with a terrifying power in the lives of your sons and daughters because they have an innate, God-given God -given passion for you. Your sons and daughters have an innate, God-given passion for you. And what you, listen, people say all the time, Brogan looks like you. Well, we, we favor, but I'm going to tell you something. He acts like me. He acts just like me. I'm so glad I didn't have social media when I was a teenager. But he acts just like me. And on some levels, I'm like, that's pretty cool. On other levels, I'm like, man, Lord, I wish that could have been better. You know? Fathers, it's a big responsibility. It's a terrifying, as he says, it's a terrifying power in the lives of your sons and daughters. We must be biblical in our nose. Listen, this is, this is talking about our schedule. We've got to be biblical in our nose. And as our children grow, be prepared to discuss the rules biblically and principally. We must learn to trust God with our children, realizing they must learn to make decisions for themselves. We've got to say no to a lot of things so that we can say yes to our wives and our kids. Because if not, our nurturing is not going to work. If we're so concerned about making a living that we're losing what's got life in our, in our families, we haven't made a living. We've destroyed our lives. And I know we've, we've got to be able to put food on the table. Don't get me wrong. I understand that. But don't, don't sacrifice love in the heart for food on the table. Our, our families need to know we love them. I know we're tired. I'm tired when I get home sometimes mentally. Might not be physically tired when I come home from the office very often. But there's times when I come home I'm just drained. Been praying over people, been studying, reading. 
you know, carrying the burden of what are we going to do next? What's next for New Prospect Baptist Church? What's now and what's next? And you might not think that's a big deal, but that's a big deal for me. That's one of the reasons why God put me here. What's now and what's next? That's a big burden. But yet at the same time, I don't need to come home and abandon my wife and my daughter. Brogan's at UAB. I'll text him and call him. You know what I mean? He's, he's off learning how to truly become a man. Living on his own. Working on his own. Having his responsibilities. But I've still got to be present in their lives. Some of you might be raising grandkids. You've got to be present in their lives. It's a challenging place to be. But nonetheless, all this still fits. All of this is still accurate for all of us. So we must beware of packing our schedules by saying yes to things which mean no to our families. Be careful of that. As it says there, your wife should be a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. Your children like olive plants all around the table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. All around your table is what it says there at the last part of verse 3. Just like a farmer, a, far, a father must take time to nurture and cultivate his children so they may grow and be productive people, both for the Lord and society. That's one thing I always want to, I, I, I really want my kids, listen, I want them to, to, to trust the Lord with everything in their life. I want them to trust the Lord, pray to Him, spend time with Him, have a relationship with Him. And as they do that, I, I don't want them to just be like crutches on culture, crutches on our society. We need to raise up productive people. How do we do that? Well, we, we model that. Like I said earlier, you know, it's a terrifying power that we have in the lives of our sons and daughters. They need to see that we're productive people in this culture. The imagery of all around the table leads to the father being home for a meal to guide the family a time of devotion to God. Fathers need to take time to speak into the lives of children, both the word of God and life examples of godly living. You know, everything we do, we have an opportunity to turn that to a way of knowing more about Christ and how we are to live. Listen, you might be an aunt or an uncle, and you have the great opportunity of influence. We talked a lot about influence this morning, Sunday school. You get that opportunity to influence. You might not be mom, dad, uh, grandmother, or grandfather, but you get that opportunity to influence. It's important that we do that by living a godly example. In Jewish societies, it was at the table where the dad was learning the peer groups of his, that his children were associating with and what information they were putting into their minds. It was there that he poured value and significance into the lives of his children by listening to them and being with them faithfully. It was around the table. We got to quit sitting on the couch being absorbed by the TV. Yeah, I like Will of Fortune. We eat supper at 6.30. Um, I need to be mindful. I need to be engaged in the conversation, not spouting out the answer. Tell Vanna to go turn that letter. We need to be engaged in the life of our family. We need to be engaged in the life of our families. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. If we fear the Lord and walk in his ways, we're going to be able to enjoy and eat the labor of our hands. We'll be happy. It'll be well with us. Our wives will be a fruitful vine within the family. Our children will be like olive plants all around the table. And behold us, the man shall be blessed who fears the Lord. So I want us to understand next how we are to be responsible to our church. The Lord bless you out of Zion, verse 5 says. The church does not exist solely for programs, projects, 
preaching, and building. Rather, it exists as a primary vehicle for preparing believers to display God's glory, to impact the culture, to restore lives and advance the kingdom. That's the reason why the church is here. That's the reason why we are here. It's kind of like an embassy, okay? An embassy is a sovereign territory on foreign soil where the rules and laws of the nations the embassy represents applies. Embassies never belong to the countries they are in. They belong to the country where they are from. If you were to visit another country as an American citizen and you went to the American embassy, you would find that all American laws and procedures would be carried out there in that embassy, no matter what country you were in. The American embassy is fundamentally a little bit of America a long way from home. The church is supposed to be a little bit of heaven a long way from home. That's what, that's what our church is supposed to be. It is supposed to be the place where the values of eternity are made manifest in history. The place where the victories in heaven bear fruit on earth. It is also the place from which God commands his blessings. Psalm 133, 133, 3. And as a result, opens the gateway to societal transformation and productivity. Because of this and more, the church ought to be nothing less than a central component in a kingdom man's life. Church should be a part of a kingdom man's life, is how Tony Evans puts that. It shouldn't be secondary. I'll go if I can. I'll go if it's convenient. Listen, we've got to lead our families well. We lead our families first by ourselves, fearing the Lord and walking in His ways. We lead our families well by washing our wives with the Word of God. We have conversations with our kids. We know who their friends are. We know who is being, who is influencing them. Then we be a part of our church. Not just attend. Not just attend church. Be a functioning part of a church. We need you. Every one of us has something different, a different gift to which God has placed in each and every one of us. Some are hospitable, so they, they're great at hosting things. Some are good at teaching, so they should be teaching the Word of God. Some are good at working behind the scenes. They might be able to fix this or fix that. Listen, I had a man, his name was Bennett Hines, and he said, God did not bless me to sing or to teach, but God gave me skills that I can repair and fix anything that needs to be done in the church, and I'm willing to offer that anytime you need me, Brother Blake. That's back at Fairview House, Northside Baptist Church. And I'm telling you, if we needed anything done, I called on him and him and Pug and Jack. They showed up in a moment's notice, and I had something fixed or done. Because that was their service to the Lord. Service to the Lord doesn't have to be absolutely listed as one of the spiritual gifts in the Bible. I mean, it helps. But service is absolutely important. Being able to, to give what God has given you back. And, man, I'm telling you, I'm always going to brag on those guys because they were amazing. They helped me out so much. They were amazing guys. So I want you to understand, we all need you men. And we need you too, ladies. So don't, don't take that as we don't need you, okay? I'm getting you next week. If I, if I, got, if I fit the rest of this in two minutes. All right? We need you too. But guys, we know God, when God created, in the beginning, he created man first. He created Adam. And then he created Eve from his side. And then he added to Eve so man could accept what he originally had back, but yet with more goodness and benefits. Right? That's how it was. 
Now, I ain't going to get into that too deep because I'll talk about that next week. All right? So this, this is the thing. How closely does our church match that description of being a small part of heaven here on earth? Is that this church? Is that us? And listen, when it says the Lord blessed you out of Zion, Zion represented many things in the Old Testament. There was Zion the mountain. There was a city called Zion. The temple in the Old Testament culture was called Zion. So the Lord blessed you out of Zion. When you are a part of Zion, when you're a part of God's people, you come to the temple, you come to the house of the Lord, and you'll be blessed. You should be. When, when God taught us how to pray, we're supposed to be in the house of the Lord. We're supposed to be in the house of the Lord. The Bible tells us in Hebrews, do not forsake the gathering together. Some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. We should desire to be here. And those that are not here, we should encourage them, not break them. I talked about that a couple of weeks ago, but we should encourage them to be back. You notice they're gone. Listen, we are a body. When God taught uh, us how to pray, he said, uh, when we prayed, he said, our Father who art in heaven, not just my Father who art in heaven. It was a community prayer. When you pray, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven. Jesus intends for us to worship and pray to our Father collectively. As a church, we are not only children. We are not only children. We are together, our Father who art in heaven. He was teaching the disciples how to pray together. A man is not underneath, a man who is not under the leadership of guidance of the local church is not living under the headship of Christ since the church is the body and fullness of Christ. We need to be engaged to be a part of the church. And God desires believers to worship and serve it through the local church. We are not to be spectators but participants. Many men have come to view the church for its convenience. Help me, bless me, serve me, preach to me, sing to me, pray for me, but don't expect me to be a vehicle to minister to anyone else or join with you to impact the world. Man, we should be instruments for noble purpose used by God in the local church. But we come in in this consumer mentality and we say, oh, bless me, help me, serve me, preach me, sing to me, all this, but I'm not doing a bit of it. How dare you ask me to serve I'm just asking you to do what the Lord's asked you to do already. In a place where people will love you and care for you and team up with you to accomplish the, the work of making God's name great here on this earth and bringing his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Let's look at the last part, community. Community. Malachi 4.6 calls for men to be thinking of their children and children to be thinking on their male influences. You see, he says, and you may see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. There needs to be generations following after Christ in right relationship with him, helping to ensure a right relationship with one another. We need to be working on living a life that brings glory to God in our own lives, in our families, in our churches, and then that will overflow into our communities. Listen, if, if you're engaged in, listen, Taryn, Taryn played, uh, played sports for a while. She played um, softball one year. <laughs> uh, but she played volleyball and she played basketball and all that. How can I, as a parent, be engaged in the community in which she's in? It's not about us just, listen, don't, don't say I can't help in these areas. You can be, you can do all kinds of stuff. 
You could be a chaplain to that team. You might could ask the coach, could I, could I just share a passage of scripture with the team each week before practice or at the end of practice? You know, um, something of that nature. You can bring Christ into every situation if you're just willing to step out a little bit. We got we to help out in our communities. You know, for years I was a part of a program where you, where you tried to encourage families to come into and be onto your church's campus uh, so that they could play a sport. Okay? Uh, I'm all for that. It worked out well. But I want to tell you something that would be more influential is to train your people how to be coaches out in the world. How to be strong in their faith and coach a team down at the Jasper Park and Red or in the, in, in the Toy Bowl out here or whatever it may be. Can we be that? Or do we, just as we talked about in Sunday school, many of you talked about in Sunday school, you're going to go into that culture and that influence. You're going to let them influence you instead of you influencing them. We've got to be engaged in our community. In Jeremiah 29, 7, God calls upon Jeremiah to be an influence in his community. He says this, seek the welfare of the city I have deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it has prosperity, you will prosper. God, no matter where you are, God wants you to see that that place prosper. It should prosper because of your work ethic and because you desire to live a life that brings honor and glory to God. It should excel because of that. But, but we need to be praying for that. I mean, Jeremiah was not in a Christian uh, culture nor environment. He was in a pagan culture. But God said, seek the welfare of the city I've deported you to. Pray for them. Pray the Lord on its behalf. For when it has prosperity, you will too. So when we, when we think about stuff like that, there's two questions to consider. What are we actively doing to seek the prosperity of our community? And how can you and I be involved to bring change to those areas? How can we do that? God's men must start being real men instead of simply going through the motions while still living by the standards of the world. We want to see the good of Jerusalem all the days of our lives. Following after the Lord is not a one-time event. Mark 8, 34-38 speaks to the ongoing act of taking up one's cross to follow Jesus. Jesus did not imply the disciples would only have to do this once, but they would have to do this daily. We've got to pick up our cross and follow him. All the days of our lives and walk in our community, in our churches, in our families, in our own lives in integrity. That's how we've got to walk. Yes, you may see your children's children, verse 6. Solomon wrote in Proverbs 1, 27, 3 and 5. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. I love my dog and my two cats, but that's not what the Bible wants us to have. He wants us to have children. Okay? Go forth and multiply to do the earth. Okay, you ever tried to herd cats? <laughs> You're not going to do the earth very good with cats, okay? But you can multiply and do the earth with your kids, okay, by teaching them the word of God. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior, so are the children of one youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Men should be advocated for and on behalf of children. A responsible man of God doesn't run from responsibility, but to it. There's so many men today, I mean, you see them out here marching with signs, saying they believe in abortion. 
They're running from responsibility. They're running from it. They just want to have carefree sexual activity with women and let them go deal with that in their own way. That's the reason why I never understood why a man should be out approving of abortion. Because that man just wants to have freedom to do whatever he wants to do with no regard to the life of that woman or really uh, for the child that may come from that relationship. It's a bum. <laughs> I just mean, it's a bum. There's a responsibility of a man to, to take care of his children. And if we'll do that, if we walk in the fear of the Lord, listen, there's no, listen, I know we've got wayward kids. Some of you maybe have wayward kids. Maybe at one time you were a wayward child, but you come back home. But we should desire as men to lead in the fear of the Lord who walks in his ways. And it says you may, and there's no guarantee, you know, it's may. You may see your children's children. But we should desire to do that. We should desire to, to live in such a way that we may see our children's children. And then it says, peace be upon Israel. Now we know Israel is Israel. This is contextually bound. But there can be peace in our own lives when we live a life that brings honor and glory to God. So know that when a responsible man of God steps out his door each day, heaven, earth, and hell take notice. When he protects uh, the woman that's under his care, she can do little to resist it. His children look to him with confidence. Other men look to him as someone to emulate. His church calls on him for strength and leadership. He is a preserver of culture and a champion of society to keep evil out and usher in good. You know, David said, uh, Tony Evans said, a kingdom man understands that God never said a godly life would be easy. He just said it'd be worth it. 